Welcome to Nell and Matt's Obsolete Movies, the podcast where we revisit movies from our 20 plus years of collecting films on obsolete formats. You can also think of this podcast as being about films from the VHS era, though not necessarily on VHS. And our film for this episode is Escape from New York, or I guess more accurately, John Carpenter's Escape from New York, <laughs> from 1981, and we watched it on CED, the, yes. the, the, if you got any, uh, a hint from the sound of the sick belt drive mechanism <laughs> uh, at the intro there. Yes, we watched on CED, the record that's also a movie that skips like a record, and was this copy was a bit glitchy. It only really failed completely during the credits. Right. Which is amazing. We made it through the whole film, only missing a few bits and bobs here as the screen fuzzed out. Yeah. Um, and when we flipped it, it actually was much better, more consistent. Yes, yeah, so, side yeah. two was in better shape than side one. Yeah. Which makes me think people watched half the movie and then like either passed out or something. <laughs> didn't want to ah, flip it over. Um and I got it from Pleasant Dreams Records in Polis Hill again. Like, like we do a lot of things for this podcast. This is not an endorsement. It just happens That's where we to find be. our stuff. That's, That's we... they have stuff. Yes. And, oh, I buy it. As well as the exchange. As well and as the exchange. Especially the one in Monroeville. Like, yeah, those always... are our two sources. Yeah. Not that, again, we don't have 20 plus years of, of collecting. <laughs> things that we could. I mean, if we stopped buying, we'd be good for another couple hundred episodes. But then we go to a store and go, oh, Escaped from New York on CED. Well, I must have that. And then we that jumps to the front of the queue. You and know, and honestly, this the I went to our shelves of CDs. And it was sitting on the top. I didn't even know what it was. I just pulled it out. I was like, ah, it's on the top. It's the easiest one to grab. And I grabbed it. And I was like, It was oh, a recent purchase. That's that why. And it accidental President's Day special. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it halfway through the movie. It's like, tomorrow's President's Day and we're watching Escape <laughs> from New York. Which I guess is, uh, I, to summarize the plot very quickly and very weirdly. Yeah. Um, Donald Pleasance plays the president. He's on Air Force One. There's like a hijacking situation or something. Yes. The plane crashes into the World Trade Center or Lower Manhattan, which is kind of weird to watch that now. Uh, But there's a survival pod and a briefcase with a cassette tape in it. And Kurt Russell, who plays Snake Pilskin. Well, you forgot the most important thing. Manhattan has been turned into a high security prison. Oh, yeah. That, that little detail. That little detail. Yes. <laughs> the entire island of Manhattan is now a maximum security prison. With 50-foot walls. 50-foot walls, landmines. You, yeah. you you go there, every sentence there is a death sentence. You go there to die. And actually, there's that nice detail when they're booking Kurt Russell and, and thing, is if you just want to be suicided now and cremated on site, just let the person know and yeah. we'll get it over with. Or you can live in New York City in 1997. So just so happens that Snake Plissken, played by Kurt Russell, has been caught and is in the process of being processed to go to this maximum security prison just as Air Force One crashes in Manhattan and someone has to go in and rescue the prison. And just so happens that he has this very special skill set. He was a decorated lieutenant in the military. Yes. 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 Gone bad. Gone bad. So he is on a glider, goes into New York, 
Uh, lands on the World Trade Center. Lands on the roof of the World Trade Center again. A plane, a flying thing in the World Trade Center. <sighs> yeah. Um, lands, finds the president, fights Isaac Hayes, and then moves on to freedom. Yes. That's the plot in a nutshell. Very efficient plot. Very efficient plot. Very, and as I will say, so this is also, you know, sometimes we talk about what it was like when we saw this movie back then. Yeah. This is my first time seeing <laughs> Escape from New York. And, you know, I, I've seen it multiple times because uh, yes. of late night television in Philadelphia. I've watched this movie multiple times. And, you know, the funny part about it is, like, the first time I watched it, you're like, eh, New York City at that time was pretty gnarly. And and, it, or, yeah, it had the reputation of being the end of civilization. And, you know, I was like, eh, like, that's not shocking that <laughs> that, that, that would have been a concept the late 70s, early 80s, that New York was just that far gone, you might as well just turn it into a penal colony. Yes. Yes, which also is, uh, you know, one of the other things I was thinking about, because it's this is 1981, it's not far from The Warriors. Yes, that's and true. And so also, like, Warriors is another film that leans heavily on that, you know, New York City as the end of civilization type right. of... Just overrun by gangs and violence. Yeah, and, and I mean, in New York City was was a, was in a lot of trouble back then. Um, but it's almost like Escape from New York being set in 1997 is like, well, this is the world of the warriors in the future. <laughs> like this is actually, it's the same. Yeah, cinematic it's like universe. the natural progression, right? That this is what it would happen to. <laughs> yeah, which. You know, there's a lot to like about the film in terms of that. Because I think it's also, you watch it now and you realize, like, what savvy social satire it was in 1981. And the the beginning of Reagan's America. Yeah. You know, that you would have this future of a country that is, you know, hyper-militarized and is kind of only really good at punishing people. Right. Which is nothing like America in 2023, except that it's pretty much exactly like America in 2023. We do moral outrage, we punish people, and healthcare trains that don't explode, we, you know, we kind of pass on those values. Education, pass. Right. Punishment, the the country of the, the, the crime bill, the idea of the super predator, and now the Supermax prison. Yeah. Um, Instead of, like, I don't know, investing in things like, I don't know, social reform and and better education and all this other stuff that would improve the lives of millions of people, let's invest all of our money in a Supermax prison. Yeah, that sounds about right for the United States. Right. I mean, you think there are entire rural communities that that is the industry for yeah. the community. Which is, also you think that's, is that John Carpenter just seeing Ronald Reagan coming? Yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> and, I think... and seeing like, okay, yeah, Reagan in 81, about 97, <laughs> this is where we're going to be. The thing, um, the thing is about, kind like, of brilliant in a, in a terrifying and sad way. The thing about John Carpenter, I mean, he's always making films on a budget, right? Like, he's not getting yes. $100 million to make a film. He always is making films on a budget. And I think because of that, because sometimes, like, there stuff does at times look cheesy in what he does. Um, like this, like, there's a couple scenes. There's a couple you know, scenes. But I think he's so smart. Like, he does social commentary, like, really, really well. Yeah. And I don't think people really pay attention to it because it's like, oh... It's John Carpenter doing one of his films. It's the Halloween guy. It's the Halloween guy. 
And, you know, for me, like, watching it, because Snake, Snake Plissken is just amazingly cynical. Like, he's a deeply cynical, damaged, cynical damaged human, being, yeah. human being. And he's missing an eye, and you just make the assumption that, like, something must have happened to him that related to his service in the military. And he's just so angry and bitter about what happened to him. And it, this isn't far off from the end of the Vietnam War. And we had, yeah. you know, you, we had all of these um, veterans coming back. And, you know, on drugs, maimed, angry, destroyed, no mental health awareness around what they experienced, who came back broken people. Yeah. And we just didn't know what to do. With yeah, we just wanted to look program. about happier things. I mean, we just right. wanted disco and baseball. And, yeah. and, you know, you think we, you know, the country in 97 is also at war. You know, we sort of were finally over maybe the forever war or the acknowledged forever war on terror. But let's face it, after about five to ten years or maybe months in the case of Afghanistan, let's face it, as a society, we just kind of forgot those things were happening. Yeah. And, you know, you could, like, forget that we were at war because yeah. it even stopped being news. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And I think for people and then their thoughts about, like, what do we do for the people who, who paid the price for that policy decision? Yeah. Um, no, we're not going to look that way anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Or it's, it was just yeah. not on people's radar. And I think that is also an amazing piece of social satire watching the film now yeah for the first time the other thing you know we had we talked about this is that you know with world war in and around world war Two, a lot of the films were about being a hero um not not to say there weren't films that addressed men coming back damaged damaged but those were usually independent flew under the radar like the big things yeah. like a john wayne film yeah. You know, Green Beret kind of type of like, you, you know, rah, rah, rah type of things is really was the mainstream film after World War Two. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, with Vietnam, that wasn't happening. Right. There's a lot yeah. of films that come out that question it um, either directly or indirectly. And the, for me, this is another indirect kind of questioning. Yeah. War and the impact on individuals. And can you really stay um, true and a patriot to a country that just, you know, chews you up and spits you out. Yeah. And that's the sense that you get from Snake play, uh, Snake that he was chewed up and spit out. Spit out and yeah. abandoned and... Yeah. Yeah. And they mention his record, like he gets, he, he has like Purple Hearts and all this other stuff. stuff He's a super or, soldier, but, you yeah. know. Oh well, good luck. Yeah. Which, yeah. And I think it... Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. the reason why he agrees to do it is that he's going to get a pardon if he finds the president and brings yeah. him back. But they also inject him uh, with a little bomb, I believe it was, yeah. that will explode in 24 hours if he doesn't bring back the president. Yes. Um, so he's like forced into this situation. Yeah. And for him, no matter what, he's going to the island. So you might as well go into Manhattan to this Mexican Might as well try to fight your way out. Mon yeah. Which again is, you know... It is deeply cynical, and yeah. it is deeply, I think, observant of 
Yeah, just the, 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 the direction the country is headed and the direction the country is. And I think for me, it's like I don't have a memory of watching this in the 80s or 90s as an action film, as a campy yeah. action film. Right. Um, though you can certainly enjoy the film on that level. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the other... It's a, just a very straightforward plot. Very efficient. Snake has an objective. Yeah. Get the president, get out of New York City. Yeah. Boom, just, that like, is it. As quickly as possible, yeah. As quickly as possible. Yeah. And, of course, he has a few run-ins, like the Warriors, where he has, like, these these son of kind of run-ins with... Yes. You know, he, he meets the underground people who are... Even for the people who are incarcerated there, view them as the crazies who live in the sewers, who come out at night to hunt and eat people. Um, so he encounters yeah. the crazies and um, gang members and things like that. But... Also encounters normal people, right? Yes. And I think like that's also the other thing that um, is fascinating. Like, or, or Ernest Borgnine's character is a cabbie, and he's really funny because he's like, "I've been driving this cab for thirty years around Manhattan." Like, it's just really funny. Yeah. Um, obviously, there for something. Something, but totally normal guy. Totally normal guy, and also that that thought of like, you could could you make a, a mistake in your twenties? And still be a good person eventually. You know, like, yeah. still be able to be rehabbed yeah. and be a good person. And so he comes across as a kind of regular guy. And where where Snake encounters him, he's watching a show with a bunch of other people. They're, they went to see a live show with him. Yes. So I think it's also interesting in the sense of, like, he's supposed to be going through this. His life is supposed to be in constant, constant danger. But he actually does meet kind of people who are kind of normal. Yeah, which is, I think, also, again, in terms of just biting social satire and understanding of America, I mean, there's just places, East Palestine, Ohio is definitely one of them, that America just forgets. Yeah. And, quote, normal people don't dare go there. I mean, we live in the super segregated city of Pittsburgh, you know, where even, like, things like train tracks and... Yeah. Highway developments helped sort of wall off certain communities certain people certain places that then become that then have this air of sort of lawlessness and how could you go there at night and and all of that which there are so many places in america like that and you know we like dan bell but then there's other places that other youtube channels that really do really lean into the poverty porn yeah. And it's not urban exploration, but it's like, look at how messed up this community is. And people live here. Oh, yeah. my God. Let's watch these people yeah. in their lives. Which is weird how we have a really... way The way that we organize geographic space in this country where there are just those places that... And, yeah, the Manhattan with the 50-foot wall is just... Yeah. You know... The, the extreme notion of that, or at least that's being done purposefully, but there are plenty of places like that, like John Carpenter's Manhattan in, in the world. Yeah. No, and it's in the true. country. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I also think it's interesting that, like, there is a hierarchy, right? Like, so there's actually a community that exists there. It might not be a community that we're used to, but in this maximum yeah. security... 
there is a community, there's a hierarchy, people have their roles in this particular society, and it kind of, and have their way of um, having agency and, and a purpose there, and that's when we meet the brain, uh, who, Harry Dean Stanton, who's like, was in like everything, like you see him, you never remember his name, but you see him, you're like, that guy! That guy's in, in everything. Oh, yeah. he was in Wild at Heart. Oh, he was an alien. Like, he's in everything. I watched a, a music video and he was in. Yeah, he's like in everything. <laughs> After the movie, because he had the <laughs> um, dogs outside. Yeah, and he had, he and Snake had been partners in the past, and he, he kind of stabbed him in the back. Um, but he has a place because he's a smart guy, and so he figures out how to produce oil and things like that, or gas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um for this particular society. The funny part for me is that um, this is after Mad Max. Um, and so, like, I looked at... When I... First time I watched it, I was like, oh, did he copy some ideas from Mad, Mad Max? And then there's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome that has that big battle in the arena. Yeah. Which kind of, like, copies the big battle. <laughs> yeah, so which copies the big battle escape from New York. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry, I thought you were going somewhere. No, 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 I'm just looking at my notes <laughs> We here. had a, a pause for a second. We did. It was a pregnant pause, but... Now, the, uh, for me, the interesting thing is, like, Kurt Russell, uh, this actually, prior to this, did, like, a ton of Disney films. So, like, the computer with tennis shoes. Like, he was doing these, like, cute Disney films. He had a comedy before that called Used Cars that I don't think anyone ever watched. Um, and so this, this film was a massive departure. So this is the Kurt Russell that we're all... Yes, this is the Kurt Russell you, you, thing and... Yes. Big uh, Trouble in China and... Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it was interesting to see the first film where Kurt Russell becomes the Kurt Russell that we know, like yeah. love, and this character that's just kind of this tough everyman. That was interesting. He's a tough I mean, it also is the, you know, the other interesting thing about Kurt Russell's The Action Hero, of course, is also, it's the same, it's something I heard once about the idea of Bruce Willis as the action hero. You know, the problem with Arnold Schwarzenegger as an action hero, and I was thinking, as we were doing this, at some point, we should do a Schwarzenegger movie. We should. I don't think we have any on VHS. Yeah. Or anything. Maybe T2, Maybe. We might have True Lies for some reason. Oh, jeez. Uh, a good Schwarzenegger. Or like a standard Schwarzenegger, yeah. like Running Man or something. Yeah. Um, because as somebody once said, you know, the problem with Schwarzenegger in the movie is how do you get somebody big enough to beat up Schwarzenegger? Right. Yet, you know, with Kurt Russell and this quote was really about Bruce Willis, it's easy to see someone you can... to, to get someone to beat him up. And so the big rink fight scene... You know, yeah, there's a massive giant human being in yeah. in there to really mess him up. So there's a weird vulnerability to his yeah her- heroism that you don't get in like Stallone or yeah. You know, there's a you know when he uh, he finds the president, and one of the tropes is that the president has a tracker on it, and the tracker is is stolen, and so when he thinks he finds the president he finds this old drunk guy who plays the old drunk guy in everything um they find mm. Buckflower, i think is his name they find him everywhere i find you see him everywhere um and so when he does finally find the president he escapes with the president but a gang comes up and actually defeats him right so like you also think in a lot of movies now it's like oh six seven guys no problem they'll all stand in a row and i'll just yeah. beat all up and nope he gets beat up he gets captured 
and he gets thrown into this arena to fight for his life. Um, so yeah, like he is, he does look like, and I, and I look at like, oh my gosh, if you're a fan of his from the Disney films and you saw this for the first time, you're probably like, what's going on with Kurt Russell? And he could die. Like he just played a computer with tennis shoes. Wait, look what's going to happen with him. <laughs> yeah. So to revisit, yeah, I think we've been talking about this a lot, like revisiting the movie in the 2020s, but I do just want to get back to this. You know, the other thing about it is it is, it is a cheap film. With grandiose aspirations, yeah, and 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 you know, with you were talking earlier about John Carpenter being able to make sort of cheap films and make them look good. This is another one where I think, yeah, he wasn't given a lot of resources, and this idea of like we're going to escape from New York City, and it's got it, and everything yeah. New York has cinematically has to be huge, in one way or another. And he, you know, with a film like Halloween, Carpenter really made virtue out of necessity. Yeah. And I think he kind of, he still makes it work. I mean, it's almost, for filmmakers, is it, is Escape from New York a master class in how to make a cheap film, but make it look expensive and make it look big? Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think there's the one scene, which I guess we'll talk about technical distance, where it does look like it's a painted... Yeah, and know. there's a model the, yeah. when, the, when the glider is gliding yeah. onto the Manhattan. Yeah, it is a model, and the plane crash is a model, too, of Manhattan. But I think, which, like, once he gets into Manhattan, it's it's great. Like, he does yes. bombed out street really well, and, you know, trying to get through these abandoned buildings and spaces. I think he does Which that. I guess a lot of that was St. Louis. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Yes. I, I paid attention to the credits, though. We did miss a minute of the credits, because that was the the one part where the CED didn't work. But it did I was not want to work. Yeah. That they shot a lot of the locations in St. Louis. The other thing I, I really like is the ending, where um, he does get the president out just in time, and they do dismantle the thing that's going to blow him up. Um, and he gets to, you know, the president... Is like, you know, tell me whatever you want. And he says, I just want a minute of your time. And ask the president how he feels about all the people who died to get him out. out. And, and the president doesn't care. And he re- yeah, which is very much... We don't like to admit in this country that there is a ruling class. Yeah. We really like to... Even, even our most elitist leaders. Yeah. Even our presidents, we like to think that they're normal people. I mean, that was the thing about, you know, even the... The strange George W. Bush thing, but yeah, you'd meet him at a barbecue, though. You could meet you yeah. could meet this trust fund billionaire right. at a barbecue, and he's totally normal. Like, no, yeah. he never was that. He never was that. Donald Trump never was that. In yeah. certain ways, Obama never was that. But yet, people need to have that connection because I think we refuse to believe that there are just some people who have wealth and power. Whose opinions just sort of matter way more than ours do, yeah. and uh, yes, that scene is so good and so chilling. And again, for a straightforward action movie yeah. where there's a simple objective, and again, you can totally enjoy it as oh, there's going to be fight scenes and gunfights, and yeah. is he going to find the president? Is he going to get blown up? All of that just works. But there is this social critique package that you get with it, and yeah, that scene is so good and so important and the thought that the president is about to go on TV 
is as he's being shaved by a handler and just being like, well, yes, I'd like to thank those dead people too, or whatever. Donald, yeah. The way Donald Pleasant says it so dismissively. Yeah. Is, yeah, that's us too. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, it is... Um, the penal colony is run by the Duke, who's played by Isaac Hayes. Yes. Who actually does a really good job of being intimidated. As, yeah, Isaac Hayes is a, is a really good actor. If you've yeah. ever seen Truck Turner, he's a really good actor. He is a really good actor. He does such a good job or in was. that particular role, or was. And uh, he does such a good job as the, as the Duke. And so it's fascinating in a society that doesn't follow the typical rules of the United States... A, a black male man would be the leader of yes. the group, which is fascinating to think as well, right? It's, I mean, it's fascinating, but it's also is it like, oh, because you know, again, let's face it, it, it's this weird like you have to think it, but maybe overthink it, but think it. Well, yes, of course, though, but he's in control of the lawless space, mm. which we also tend to as a culture. I'm reading that's true, that's Eduardo Benito Silva's Racism Without Racists. Yes, this is true. And, like, attitudes about space and urban space and who inhabit certain spaces. That's that's a good point, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, ah, he's actually really good in that role, but, ooh, right. you know. And that, that Ernest Borgnine is the is the cabbie who's is the friendly cabbie. Yeah. Who's, like, you know, the whitest white man that ever was. <laughs> you know, would be the friendly figure and everybody else would be kind of a different shade of... Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to move on to the four big questions, I sure, think? Yeah. yeah, sorry. Four big questions. Is a camp retro classic or just an old movie? Why don't you... I always answer first. You answer. I'm going to call it a camp classic. Mm. I mean, again, it is straightforward action movie, but because of this social critique in it and the, like, really savvy social satire, it's almost so savvy you might miss it and still like the... I mean, like, right-wing people might like this movie. Yeah. And not realize that it's like, no, that's that's Reagan. Um, so I would call it a camp classic. Camp classic. I mean, I, I, it's a cult film, I guess, but most of our films that we watch are cult films. Yeah. Um, but I do... I agree with you. I think it, there is... It's a, a classic... Um, I do think it's a film that people should see, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it does have these very campy elements, but I do think it's a, actually an important film to see. You know, for me, like John Carpenter, um, I love Halloween. Like, I think yes. Halloween is such an exceptional film. And John Carpenter's hit or miss, right? Like, there's some stuff that's like, oh, that's so much fun. And then other stuff, you're like, uh, really, John Carpenter? What were you thinking? Yeah. Uh, but when he's when he is on, there's it, great praise for the fog on the VCED <sighs> case. I mean, the fog, ugh, the fog. Um, but I think um, <laughs> it's one of the most successful movies ever. You know, <laughs> that's what it says on the CED case, which I will put a picture of the back of the description on our yeah. Instagram if you want to zoom in. <laughs> The Fog is a classic example of him uh, making a misstep. But when he is on point, it's really good. Like, yes. it's really what we're seeing. Yes. Question two, what about that social-political distance of... Yeah, I mean, I think... Which I think we've been talking about the whole time. time. Well, you know, I think the one thing we didn't talk about was Watergate was happening around that time. That's true, that I think, you're right, as a response to the 1970s, Vietnam and Watergate... Yeah. The Pentagon Papers. Yeah. All of those things. 
you know, it was when we realized that, you know, I can't trust the government. Right, right. So I mean, yes, exactly. And, I and that deep societal cynicism. Yeah. I mean, we went through, like, you had uh, John, you know, JFK, who people idolized and was like, wow, he's the most amazing person ever. Um, to the reality of, of what people are capable of with Richard Nixon. And yeah. so I, I th- we didn't talk about Watergate, but you could definitely see the influence, the influence of Watergate, of Watergate on there, this. Yeah. And even when um, the plane, so the plane is hijacked by a woman, and it's something like the American Liberation Front or something is what she's she yeah. um, is doing. She decides she's going to crash, crash the plane to kill the president. Um, and all of the president's aides, advisors, all sacrifice themselves because of course it's only a one person pod um that allows him to survive survive it and you have to think about nixon and nixon letting so many people around him take the fall before he finally admitted to what he did which i think again though is this class conscious that you know there are big lives and little lives yeah and you know yeah and i think that you know snake just being not interested in rescuing the president because because it's the president yeah it's just survival yeah and because snakes a little life yeah exactly exactly yes um so i think that's it we as you said yes we've been talking about it a lot but i think there's also this cynicism around the presidency and the people who are in charge at that time and so this is kind of all weaving through that if you're a modern audience, you might, if you're like 1920, you you might not get, because even me the first time watching it, like I was born See, in the See, I 70- think our students, 1920, uh, my students who are that age, 1918, 1920, I mean, even teaching the class at our alma mater, my students on Thursday, on Wednesday were like, and we just hate capitalism. I mean, yeah. let's full on like, whoa. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was like. I'm glad you're saying this, but like, whoa, you're you're on a mountain in the middle of nowhere, and you're saying you hate capitalism. What? I mean, so I think there is a lot of that deep cynicism that is now baked into young people. So I, I, all I all I was gonna say with that meant though is that like they might not necessarily they might not get the references, but they can get, get the references. But it is emotionally correct for them. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to put it. You know, yeah. even if it's not factual, they don't know all the facts emotionally they're on it and are very aware of of this and and will be very honest about it um in ways that are sort of shocking for me it's like oh i i I agree but why did you say that um question three about the technical distance and that could be either the effects or the living tech you know uh and you made this point when we finished watching it, we were watching the credits or waiting for the CED to come back around to play the end yeah. of the credits because it was a little lost. Uh, that th- there's not many futuristic or especially dystopian futuristic yeah. films that don't have computers. This is a right. future without computers. 97. Yes. Now, granted, 97, we were in college when our college got the internet. Right, right. But, you know... <laughs> Yeah, we knew it was coming, but in yes, this future is a future with really without computers. Computers, there's sort of something like a smartwatch. Yeah, I mean the but the it's thing still walkie talkies. It's still walkie talkies. Still, I mean, there's a sort of briefcase microwave that disarms the neck bomb. Yeah, but it is a low tech future. It's cars and guns and knives and bows right. and arrows 
and running. And running, yeah. <laughs> I mean, is what you got, and gliders and jets, but yeah. So Snake is wearing just a, a watch that has a countdown to when he's going to explode. Yeah. The president has something. It looks like that handheld football game that was just like lights that like lit up. <laughs> That's exactly what it looked like. That's what was on yeah. the president's arm. Yeah. It was just like. You know, like light ups. Which, you know, in the year of the AI chatbot, it's actually, again, a computer free future is kind of a refreshing notion. Yeah. So there's definitely no cell phones. <laughs> no, yeah, there's tablets, none of that, which is interesting. No, nothing. You know? And like I said, I mean, when they, there's a couple places where they do resort to models and I think matte paintings to, yeah. you know, bring this film within budget uh, and still have a big vision. But for the most part, the film looks great. Yeah. still um or as great as it could look on ced and they, they did a great <laughs> which job which is fuzzy i don't know what the 4k would look like because yeah. it's really far from 4k my favorite part it. is the like the um the cars they like like put metal like uh metal fencing like around the windows to get like so the ford country choir squire station <sighs> wagon the wood paneled sides has you know yeah that was a lot of fun because cages that, on it that's what people would do is like whatever cars were left let's turn them into these things. to battle tanks, tanks and, yeah that was a yes. lot of fun so the last question i think this this answer is pretty obvious will we ever watch it again yeah yeah i was actually thinking i um matt's not like a big budget film person and I was, like, curious about the Suicide Squad, and I don't remember which Suicide Squad it was. The Suicide Squad or Suicide Squad, where the Enchantress, they're all going downtown to get to the Enchantress. If you watch that movie, you watched Escape from New York. It's, like, yeah. literally the same premise. And so I think people... that uh, There's echoes of this film in other films that you yes. don't necessarily realize. And yeah. so... After I watched it again, I was like, oh, I watched this. They kind of stole that concept from this. They stole this concept. They stole this concept. Um, and, of course, they went on, you know, to do The Thing together, which is one of my favorite mm. horror films. Uh, one of my top favorite horror films. I'll watch it again. Like, I think it's just a fun yeah. film. Um, it's a really fun film. And it is it is John Carpenter um, firing at all cylinders. Yes. And him firing on all cylinders is just always a fun experience. And maybe not on CED. Not Though on I do CD. wonder if the needle dragging through it did kick up some dust and it might actually play better yeah, we'll next see. time we watch it. Yeah. Or a lot worse. I don't know. It might be unwatchable the next time. <laughs> Who knows? Um, it is one of those. We got to the end and was like, oh, we saw the whole thing. Yes. Um, yeah, I would definitely watch this movie again. Yeah. It's your first time. It was my it? first time. You'd be willing to do it again. Oh, absolutely. I think that's it. That is it. All right, bye. Bye.